right. Well, once again, welcome everybody. Good to see everybody out. We are continuing a series in the book of James. This is week uh, four or five. I actually lost count. Uh, but if you have been with us, just a quick recap of where we've been. We, what we've tried to do is establish an overall theme of the book because it doesn't lay out like a well-written letter. It doesn't lay out like a real good essay like some of, uh, some of Paul's books or some of those types of things. But it's really more of a collection of thoughts, collection of truths, wisdoms kind of compiled together. Uh, but the overall theme of the book really is, is James getting the point across that faith without works is dead. Faith without application is useless on this side of heaven. And, we've, and the, the, the word save comes up a couple different times throughout the book. And he asks the question, can a faith without works save you? Now, we know that from other scripture, we know from, from the truth of the Bible that faith alone is enough to save your soul. Belief in Christ, trust in what he has done for us. And so that word save that James uses in the original language can go two different directions. One direction it can go is, that born-again saved, like I've been saved from my sin, I've been forgiven, I'm on my way to heaven, all right? The other way that word can go is more of a preservation-type save, like he saved the day, he saved the game, whatever, it, a, a healing, a restoring type of save. And James is saying, basically, you can be saved, you can know Jesus, and your life can still be an absolute mess if you don't have a faith that is healing and restoring and preserving. And that's a faith that is impacting, a faith that is being lived out. And so we talked about how trials are allowed in our lives. They're brought to our lives as a testing of our faith, a way to make us stronger. And if we view them through that lens, then we can live out a faith that has an impact on this side of heaven in this life. And we talked about how, uh, last week we talked about how we, we not only need to recognize that there is truth, recognize that God has things to say about certain aspects of our life, and we not only need to be willing to evaluate our life based on that truth, but we need to take the final step and actually act based on that truth, based on the evaluation that we've made in our lives, and actually take steps based on the truth that we know from Scripture. And so, uh, basically, back to that theme. It's one thing to have faith. That's super important. But you need to live out that faith. In order for that faith to have any value, on this side of heaven. And James almost makes the point that if you're not going to live out your faith, other than not going to hell, there's not any value to it, okay? And so that's where we pick up today in, in the book of James. And today is, is kind of a tough one. Uh, it's one of those topics uh, that, that I was dreading coming up on, not necessarily because it's uh, scary, but because it's subtle, it's not an exciting one. It's not one that gets you riled up necessarily. And uh, it's one of those that's easy for us to let ourselves off the hook. It's easy to slide by this one. And the issue that James bring up, brings up in, in chapter 2 is that of favoritism. Now, I want to give you a working definition of favoritism before we get too deep into this so you know what I'm talking about when I say favoritism. Favoritism is simply choosing to prefer some people over others based on personal preference or based on prejudice, or choosing some people over others based on the ability to gain something from them or not gain something from them, okay? So you can throw in words like prejudice. You can throw in words like preference. You can throw in the ability uh, to uh, gain an advantage from knowing them, something they have to offer you or not offer you. So showing favoritism based on those things. And this is, uh, as I thought through, as I kind of work on these talks, I always try to um, think of it in a personal way. Like, what, 
what is God trying to tell me in this passage? What, what do I need to work on here? And this is a tough one because I'm not, um, you would have to know me for a long time and be really close with me to start picking apart areas where I show favoritism. Because number one, I know how to hide it. All right, I've, I've, I know how to be good. I know how to talk right. I know how to, uh, how to fake it when I need to. And so I, as I dug through this, I realized, okay, I got to get below the surface on this one because for me, as a guy who grew up in church, who's been around the Bible, who's been around Christianity my whole life, I know what I'm supposed to say and I know what I'm supposed to do to make sure I look like I'm not showing favoritism. I know how to hide some of those secret sins, those subtle sins. And as I started digging, I realized, okay, when it comes to favoritism, it's really easy to spot it when I'm the victim of it. Uh, and now, I want to throw this out right out front. I ha- I've pretty much experienced every privilege I can experience in life, okay? Um, I'm a white guy. Um, my parents paid for my college. Uh, both of my parents stayed together my whole life. Not a lot of drama there. I got a great brother and a great sister. We grew up on the rugged streets of Troy, Michigan. Um, and so, I mean, as, I, as you go through the list of things that are an advantage in life, things that I've been privileged to experience, I can check off almost every, everything on the list. So when I talk about, in a second, experiencing uh, being a victim of favoritism, I don't want you to take it too serious. I'm not trying to make a sob story, okay? Um, but, I, but one of the things that I've, throughout my life, experienced a, uh, a bit of uh, negative side of favoritism is looking young. Now, I'll be honest, uh, now that I'm 35 and 40s around the corner, like looking young kind of feels pretty good. But uh, I remember when I started uh, an internship at a church, I was 21, 22, uh, probably looked like I was 14 or 15. And, and I remember uh, being there, and the intern before me, his name was Tim. And I ended up staying at that church and working there full time over the years. And we were there six or seven years. And by the end, there were still a couple people who would call me Tim. And it was really frustrating because beneath that, I mean, in some ways it was careless. In some ways they just had a bad memory. But in some ways beneath that it was, oh, that's the intern. And the last intern I remember is Tim. And it was really frustrating. He's like, dude, I'm not the intern. I'm not 20 anymore, okay? And it was really frustrating. My name is Justin, and I'm a grown man, all right? Call me by my name. And that would bleed over, um, I, I officiate high school basketball games, and I started doing that when I was 23, 24. And I remember a time specifically when I was 25, officiating a game, um, thought I was doing pretty well, maybe not, but I remember someone yelling out from the crowd, you missed that one, baby boy! <laughs> and I was just, I was just so, because if it's a player, you can you know, give them a technical. If it's a coach, you can throw them out. But if it's a fan, it's kind of like, oh, I am not a child. <laughs> so, it, I mean, that is such a small thing, such a little thing that really isn't that offensive. And yet when I experience that, it's like, that's just not right. You know, judge me based on my capabilities. Judge me based on how I'm living, not how I look. And yet when it comes to the things that I do, it gets a little bit more difficult not quite as obvious to me when I'm doing it to others. By the way, I had uh, the Dundee-Ida boys basketball game on Friday night. So if you live that way, 
you might want to wait a few weeks to invite your friends and neighbors to church because um, I thought we did a good job, but there were some very vocal uh, people in the crowd who disagreed with my opinion. Uh, so uh, don't tell them I'm your pastor for like three more weeks and we'll be okay. Um, but back to this. Uh, when it's me showing favor, favoritism or a lack of favor on others based on stupid things, uh, it's a little bit harder for me to spot because I'm not the victim of it. But as I really started digging and thinking back on other stories in my past, things that I've experienced and, and ways that I've interacted with people, I started to realize that I do make pretty sweeping judgments about people based on, a lot of times, just based on what they look like. There were, uh, about this time last year, we stepped out of our last ministry and began preparing to launch Fieldstone. And so we had a season to just visit different churches and see what other people are doing and see how this guy preaches and see how these, uh, this church runs their kids' ministry and, and all these things, see things we like, see things we don't like. And I remember looking back, there were churches that, that I would choose to visit or not visit just based on their name, just based on their location, based on their size which, looking back, is completely ridiculous because at the time, all my church had was a name and a website. And so to be judging another church based on anything is completely ridiculous. Uh, and yet, that's, and looking back, I was totally doing it. Um, I'll, I'll let you into my personal life a little bit, uh, and, and I'll trust you as a, as a Milan, Dundee, Tecumseh, Celine-type crowd. Um, I'm a, a CPL card holder, and uh, somebody's in favor of that. And there are places where, uh, when I'm going there, I'll think, ah, it's not that big of a deal. I won't worry about it today. But there are other places where I travel to. And simply based on who I think might be there or what kind of a place it is, I'll be sure to make, I'll make sure that I'm protected. And sometimes it's based on just ridiculous things when you really think about it. You know, places like, downtown Celine. I'm like, all right, Kathy, we're packing today. Get my trident. We're going to Celine. It's going to be crazy. But it's frustrating. You know, there's things, and, and then as I'm, no joke, as I'm messing with this talk last night, I, I usually spend a few minutes with it on Saturday night uh, before going to bed. As I'm messing with this talk, I kind of wrap up and go downstairs, and there's a knock on the front door, and there's a strange man on our front porch knocking hard on the door with a goofy smile on his face, all right? And he's like, come on out, come on out, I, got, I, got, I need something. I'm like, oh, here we go. And I start, and, and you, you know, you, you do it too. You see somebody on the front, or you start like, all right, this is what he looks like. This is, these are some assumptions I can make based on this person. It's 9.30 at night, never seen him before. Um, where's my trident, right? And, and, and so I open the door and talk, and he's like, hey, just, well, you know, I was down the street helping a friend. And I ran out of gas right in front of your house, and he's out. And my first thought is, oh, okay, all right, how much cash do you need, you know, stuff like that. He's like, nope, just, just if you got a couple gallons of gas for the lawnmower or whatever, I'll take that. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I got it. Here, here, take it. No big deal. Um, so he's like, I'll, I'll be right back. I'll be right back. So he goes and does his thing, and like two and a half hours later, I'm sitting around. We're getting ready for bed. I'm like, yeah, see, Kath, I told you. Uh, <laughs> Just that kind of a guy. I could tell by the way he looked, right? He's just kind of one of those guys. So we go and turn the lights off and lock the front door and look out. And the gas can is sitting out by the garage. And Kathy goes out, and it's full. It wasn't full when I gave it to him. So then I'm like, you know, it's good to be nice to people. You know? <laughs> and then I'm heading up to bed. I'm like, 
oh, no. I don't know if it was God or just coincidence or whatever, but he totally nailed me the night before giving a sermon on favoritism. And so it, it was just another reminder of, of my weakness in that area of how easy it is. There's, there's something inside of us that quickly categorizes the people around us. Now we're in church, right? And so we don't do that here, I'm sure. And I'm sure there's people around you that you know, people that you recognize either from going to Fieldstone or knowing them from around town. But I'm sure there's some people around you that you didn't know. And I'm sure very quickly you took a look around and sized them up, made a determination about who they are, what they like. And when you step back, it's always based on totally ridiculous things, things like their age, things like their clothes, their coat, their hairstyle, their hair color, their singing ability here in church. All right? I judge people based on singing ability. That's why I sit up front where nobody else sits because then I'm just by myself. Maybe you judge them based on the quality of their handshake. Maybe you judge them based on their skin color, how they talk, whether they live in Milan or for they're, they're from out of town. And as we're doing that, over time, we gravitate towards those people who are most like us. And we start to avoid those who are most unlike us. And this is not a society issue, this is not a government issue, this is not a family history issue, this is a living out our faith issue, a faith that preserves, a, pa- a faith that heals, a faith that restores, a faith that has impact on life on this side of heaven. And James sees this in the early church, he sees this happening because these are, these are people who are recent converts who are trying to figure out, okay, we believe in Jesus, we have this faith now, so how do we live that out? What does that look like on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday? And, and, and he knows, and what we've seen over history is that this didn't just exist with the first century church. It existed before then, and we've seen it over the last 2,000 years, and I think we see it in our own lives and the people around us. And so we're going to jump into James chapter 2 this morning and see what he has to say about this thing called favoritism. So James chapter 2, verse 1, it'll be on the screens, and if you've got your Bibles with you, I'd welcome you to turn there as well. And he starts off with basically the thesis of the whole section. My brothers and sisters, remember, he's talking to Christians. He's talking to people who already get it. They have that born again, saved from my sin type of saved. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, we must not show favoritism. All right, so that's the point he's trying to... Starts right up. Don't show favoritism. Now, this verse, he's setting them up, and he's setting us up. You notice how, how nicely he's getting going in this first section. Believer, all of you who are believers in our Lord and Savior, the glorious one, my brothers and sisters, those of you who have been accepted, no matter who you are, those of you who have been forgiven, no matter what you've done, those of you who are, who are loved and cherished by our glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What are you doing? Think about all the things that we've experienced. You've turned around after experiencing unconditional love and unconditional forgiveness and unconditional acceptance by Jesus himself. You're going to turn around and set up categories for each other that God doesn't even recognize? You're going to set a higher standard for people than God has set standards for people? And here's what James is seeing as we continue into verse 2. He uses a a specific example from from what he's seeing there. He says, suppose a man comes into your meeting, your, your church, your office, your favorite restaurant, 
comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you, so, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But you say to the poor man, you stand here, sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And so James says, here's what you're doing. You see someone with money and you think, oh, we could use that guy at church. He could help us out. He's got some skills, I think. And we celebrate them. And he says, then you see the poor guy and you brush him off and you ignore him. And, and while you're celebrating one, you're barely tolerating the other. And he says, the issue here is you're placing value on things that God doesn't value. Here you are, this group of loved people, forgiven people, cherished people. And you're taking two people and you're sizing them up based on appearance and assigning value to them based on that. See, we do this. We do this. Maybe not obviously. Maybe you're like me and you can hide this. You know the right things to say in the right moment and who you can get away with it with and who you can't get away with it with. And if it's not outwardly, then inwardly we do this. And, and back then, let me give you some of the things that they struggled with when it came to favoritism, okay? Let, let me know if any of these sound familiar from your life or from our world. Back then, they struggled with showing favoritism racially. Back then, they, sh they struggled with being prejudiced based on economics. They, sh they struggled with showing preference or lack of preference based on religious tradition or religious background, based on the person's career, based on their level of education, based on family history. Do any of these issues sound familiar to you guys? See, this was a first century issue. It's a 21st century issue. It's a human issue. And what James says is, if it's done, if favoritism is shown, if people are judged and assigned value based on things that God doesn't value, then it's done with evil motives. Then it's wrong. It's done for personal gain. It's done for personal comfort. It's done based on your preference. It's done based on your prejudice. And James says, if you want a faith that works, if you want a faith that has impact on this side of heaven, a faith that will heal the parts of your life that need healing and breathe life into the parts of your life that need to be breathed life into, if you want a faith that impacts your life, then you have to knock this off. It's one thing if it's out there, out in the world where people don't really care. But in here, among God's people, and then as God's people spread out from here and take their interactions out into the world, no way. This is subtle. It's easy to hide. But it's a major part of our daily routine. And this issue of favoritism has to be stopped. Just th think of the groups that, that are a mess right now. Okay? Th think about um, businesses that you know of that are a mess. Think about churches that you know of that are a mess. Think about families that you know of that are a mess or, or groups of friends that, that you know of that are a mess. My guess is the thing that they struggle with is this big thing called favoritism. My guess is they are assigning value based on things that God doesn't value. And while they're doing that, they're doing the flip side, too. And they're devaluing the things that God does value. See, there's a certain kind of person that Jesus would pay special attention to. A certain kind of person. And it's not a person that we would pay special attention to, but that's the issue. And we could go through, all back through the Gospels and things and see the, the types of people that Jesus interacted with. But we're going to stick with James and see who he talks about. James chapter 2, down to verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, he's still hitting them with it. Listen, you're, 
You love Jesus. I know you get it. If you're with me on this, listen. Has not God chosen? Now, chosen is exactly what you think it means. Set apart, handpicked, selected favorably. God is showing favoritism to the people James is about to describe. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and ultimately to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you, you've dishonored the poor. Isn't it the rich who are exploiting you? Aren't they the ones who are dragging you into court? Aren't they the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? So James says, you valued the wrong thing here. You've chosen the wrong person. God is more honored by the faith of a poor person than the status of a rich person. God has one category by which he judges. Faith. Faith. He sees the poor as rich in what matters to him. He sees He sees the rich in faith as the one who will be most richly rewarded. And we value the wrong things. We value the wrong people. James says, you've dishonored the poor. You've dishonored the ones that God has chosen to honor. But isn't isn't it the rich who exploit you? Isn't isn't it the rich who who drag you into court where your resources are going to be trampled on? Isn't the rich who put themselves in powerful positions they can take advantage of and give themselves tax breaks and take advantage of the poor and create a bigger gap? Right now, some of you are like, oh, I, thought he, I thought he was a Republican with all that gun stuff, but now I just don't know. <laughs> I'll keep you guessing as long as I can. Now, James, he hits the rich-poor thing, okay? And that's an issue for some. Maybe, maybe you have an issue with people who don't have much money. You, you've decided why they're that way. You've, you've decided, you, you have their life figured out, you have their choices figured out, you have their circumstances figured out. Maybe you're someone who is the other way. Because of your life circumstances, you have an issue with rich people. You've decided how they got their money. You've placed a judgment on how they spend it, why they have it, what they do with it. But that's just the example James uses to get his point across. There are many other things by which we choose to judge people and place value. Maybe for you it's not the rich-poor thing, but maybe for you, maybe there's someone here who has a problem with overweight people. You've got them figured out. You just just get a little edgy. You get an attitude about that. Maybe you have a problem with skinny people. Maybe you have an attitude about divorced people. You've got them figured out. You know, yeah, I know how that goes, yeah. Tell me, yeah. I know what you're about. And you get an attitude when you hear about their life and their circumstances. Some of you have an issue with, single, with young single moms. Some of you judge people simply based on their clothes. Maybe they have bad taste. And, and, and as we read through some of these, I, I'm, I'm sure God is thinking, really? Really? That's going to be the thing that gives you an attitude? That's going to be the thing by which you devalue that person or show favoritism to that person? Some of you get an attitude about working moms. You don't like the things that they value. You don't like the things that they prioritize. Some of you have an issue with stay-at-home moms. You don't like the choice they've made. You don't like their values. You don't like the way they've prioritized their life. Some of you really have an issue with stay-at-home dads. Some of you have an attitude about public school families. Some of you have an issue with homeschool families. 
Some of you have an issue with athletes. Some of you have an issue with artsy people. Some of you don't like the corporate business types. They're the man. And they're in a category for you. Whatever that is, eventually, I don't know if I hit something that is, that is real for you, that creates attention for you. I hope that I did. But whatever it is for you, if we go long enough, you'll run into something that causes you to have an attitude. And God's like, really? After what I did for you, after what I forgave you for, after all that I've done for you based on absolutely nothing, something you couldn't earn, something you couldn't qualify for, and I've given it to you freely, and you're going to make a judgment based on little or no evidence. What if God did that for us? It'd be pretty difficult. And when we do that, it leaks into what we say. It leaks into how we act. And at the very least, it leaks into how we feel. James presents a solution. You're not going to like it because it's too simple. He presents a solution in James 2.8. And it's going to sound familiar. Remember, this is Jesus' half-brother. So a lot of these teachings leak through in the way that he says them and the things that he says. James 2.8 says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, if you really got it, if you really have a faith that works, a faith that saves, a faith that heals, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture that says to love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. You are doing right. Is that too simple? Too oversimplified? Basically, when you run into a category of person that you tend to judge you tend to stay away from, maybe someone that you tend to devalue, maybe someone you overvalue based on something that God doesn't value. As you find that judgment rising up inside you, as you start to feel that tension, as that attitude starts to hit you, he says, love that person the way you would want to be loved. How would you want them to react to the sight of your house? How would you want them to react to the words that you speak? How would you want them to respond to your kids? How would you want them to feel about hearing what your job is, what your career is? How would you want them to treat you at the gym? How would you want them to answer your questions? How would you want to treat you as the new girl or as the older guy at the office? See, Jesus' answer to the greatest command, he was asked back in the Gospels, what, what is the greatest? What's the most important thing? And he had two answers. Number one, love God. Number two, love your neighbor. You want to know the sign of a healthy church? You want to know the sign of a healthy family? You want to know the sign of a healthy group of friends, the, the sign of a healthy small business, the sign of a healthy team? They get along with God, and they get along with each other. They love God, and they love each other. We have to think differently. We have to see differently. We have to value faith in those relationships. If you want a faith that's active, if you want a faith that's alive and having an impact on this side of heaven, we have to begin seeing people through the lens of faith valuing people based on things that God values. And as we do that, we know that God sees us as worthy of his love and his forgiveness and his honor without the ability to tangibly earn it. And we do this knowing that he wants to see, he wants us to see others the way that he sees us. And if not, in case you're tempted to dismiss this truth in your life and in case you're tempted to dismiss this truth when it comes to your family, your friends, your workplace, or whatever, James, he lays it on real thick here at the end of chapter 2, here at the end of this section in chapter 2. He says, if you're, if you're loving your neighbor as yourself, you're doing it right. Then verse 9. But if you show favoritism, you sin. 
and you're convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles on just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you don't commit adultery but you do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James says, listen, you guys are going to miss this one. This one's going to slide by. This one's going to be too subtle. You're going to blow this one off. But you've heard of murder. You've heard of adultery. This is that Sermon on the Mount moment we've been talking about where just like Jesus did, saying, you've heard of this, I'm going to raise the bar. James says, murder, adultery, those are bad ones. Here's what I need to tell you. Don't even show favoritism based on things that God doesn't value. And if you do show favoritism, you sin. Anybody ever confessed to that one? Anyone ever been driven to their knees because of, of a moment of favoritism? I haven't. Not until last night when that dude left my gas can on, on my porch. James says, this is a big deal. Whatever the reason you're struggling with it, maybe there is some family history stuff. Maybe, maybe it is based on how you grew up. Maybe it is based on what you were taught. Whatever the reason is that we show favoritism based on our preference, based on our prejudice, it's a really big deal. So I got to ask you, who is it that you don't like? Who is it that we're, when you see them, when their name comes up, you get around them, just that attitude starts to come up inside you. Yeah, you, you end the conversation as soon as possible. You avoid contact with them at all costs. You, you start, as soon as you see them across the room, you start whispering. You start texting, and your thoughts turn negative. And if you're not sure, I've got a hint for you. If you're not sure what that is for you, here's a hint. It's usually those times when you, when you use the word but. Uh, I'm not a racist, but, you know, it's really, honestly, I don't really care. It's not that big of a deal, but I'm not worried about it. Not really worried about it, but what would you fill in the gap with? Who would you be talking about? What would you be referring to that might be an area where you're being tempted to show some favoritism or you've got an attitude that you need to figure out? And when you figure that out, when you can answer that question, then it's time to call yourself out. Call it what it is. God, man, Lord, I'm, I think I'm sinning in this. I think this is an issue. God, it's subtle. God, I could keep this a secret for my whole life if I wanted to. But God, I recognize this. This is the person that gives me that attitude. This is the type of person. This is the type of place that gives me an attitude. God, I'm sinning in that. And repent that and deal with that with God. Because if we'll do that, that'll spill over into your everyday life. And then what I want you to do, after you've figured out what your attitude problem is, after you've dealt with that on a God level, I want you to intentionally begin to think and act differently. Okay? I'm not asking you, if this is your attitude over here and this is where you need to get, I'm not asking you to come here. I'm asking you to be real intentional about swinging all the way the other way. Okay? Honor those you would normally dishonor. James 1.27 and I know I'm going back uh, to the chapter before, but these numbers didn't exist until like the 16th century. So this probably tied right in. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. 
they were the, the ones with the lack of favor. This was in 21st century. There's no Social Security. There's no Medicare. If you were an orphan, if you were a widow, you were done. You had no options. They were the least of these. They were the ones who would be shown a lack of favor. They would be discriminated against. They would be pushed down. And so no surprise, they're the ones that James mentions right before he starts talking about this issue. And so honor those you would normally dishonor. Value those you're tempted to devalue based on standards that God would laugh at. Purposely steer in their direction instead of away from their direction. Begin the conversation instead of avoiding the conversation. Continue the conversation instead of getting out of it as soon as you possibly can. Welcome them. Invest in someone, even if there's no obvious tangible benefit to you. Be intentional. Begin to think and act differently in your everyday life. Speak and act not as a judge, but as someone who's going to be judged by the same standard. The band's going to come, and we're going to close out with a song. But for some of you, as, as you think about this, this particular passage, it, it's subtle. We could hide it. But for some of you, this would be a family tree transforming process. Because some of you grew up in families with a history of hate and prejudice. Things have been passed down to you like bitterness and mouthiness and judging and just a critical spirit, a gossipy spirit. And for some of you, this would not only be an issue that would transform your life, but would begin to transform your entire family tree of breaking that process, breaking that mold, breaking that tradition of favoritism and judging based on our preference, based on prejudice, based on things that God doesn't value. And all of a sudden, we're not just becoming the believers we're intended to be with the faith that heals and restores. Then, then we're families that we're called to be. And we're small businesses that we're called to be. We're a body of Christ that we're called to be. That's a faith that saves. That's a faith that heals and preserves. That's the faith that we're looking for. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we just thank you for a chance to dig into your word this morning. Not, God, not the most exciting passage in Scripture. God, not, not something that gives us goosebumps necessarily, not something that inspires in, a, in an amazing way, but God, certainly something that we need to wrestle with. God, it's something that we need to process in each of our lives because, God, this issue of favoritism, we recognize and we confess that it's wrong. And for any here who might be wrestling with something, God, an issue where they're, uh, they're doling out favoritism or a lack thereof, or maybe they're experiencing it from the other end, God, I pray that you would start to begin a process of healing in those situations. God, as we worship you one more time in song this morning, I pray that you would inhabit the praises of your people and that we just express our love for you in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.